All right. It's good to have you with us this morning here. November 12th. Wow. We're almost at the end of 2023. It just seemed like the other day I was waiting for the world to come apart when the computers were all going to die in 2000. And that was 23 years ago. Wow, over 23 years ago. Time goes quickly. Am I right? Yes. Yes, you've heard me say this before, and I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek because it's funny, but someone said that, you know, your life is kind of like a roll of toilet paper, that the closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. And, and there's truth to that because I think there's, it just does. I mean, your kids grow up, life changes, the people that you've known, I mean, there are people that the past that you've lived, I'm not going to go into all this, I'm just going to say, it, it goes quickly. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Um, but yeah, it's good to have you with us this morning. Um, I don't have a place to ask you to turn in your Bibles today because we're going to be jumping all over the place. Um, but I am going to ask if you would just try to follow along with us. I have all the slides and all the verses that we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, but it's good to have you with us this morning. If you have joined us for the first time, then you're joining us in the second week of a series. Last week, we started a new series here at Bridge. Uh, it's called Open Handed. And it's about living a life of generosity, what it means to live a life of generosity. Um, If you are not familiar with this, maybe it's your first week, like I said, you may be wondering for the first time, or maybe you came last week and you're saying, why do we really need to talk about this? Because when they associate generosity with the church, they always associate it with what? Yeah, yeah, look at that, money. They talk about money. They associate it with money. And that is a piece of generosity. But generosity isn't just a financial thing. It's a lifestyle. It's the way that we live. It's the way that we share and give all of the things God has entrusted us with and how we live a life of generosity. So we need to talk about that because when people think about what it means to be mature, what it means to be a mature, growing Christian, some of the words you might associate with that phrase are things like kindness. A mature, growing Christian is kind. A mature, mature growing Christian is loving. A mature, growing Christian is not a gossip. Yeah, that's a whole other message we could talk about, right? Well, I'm just sharing this with my friend. Actually, you're just being a gossip. A mature, growing Christian is a student of God's word. A mature, growing Christian is full of truth and full of grace. But you know what else a mature, growing Christian is? Generous. Generosity goes hand in hand with being spiritually mature and becoming spiritually mature. Selfish Christian is an oxymoron in the kingdom of God. You cannot be selfish and be a mature, growing Christian. They do not go together. That's why we need to talk about this, because it encapsulates so much more than just finances, so much more than just money. Now, there is a, a, I I don't like to use the word formula, but I'd like to say principles. There are principles that if we understand them and we apply them in our lives, it puts us on the right path to living a generous life. If you don't apply these principles, think through them, and let God transform you in the midst of doing them, you will not become a generous person. But generosity is something that God has entrusted us with, and he's encouraged us, I mean, to walk in. So last week, Pastor Jeff started, and he talked about one of the principles and what it means to be an open-handed or a generous person, to live a life of generosity. And let me say this first. This applies to people that have given their hearts to Christ. There are people that have generosity in moments in their lives that don't know Jesus. 
They're kind-hearted. They're charitable. They do different things. I'm talking specifically about when you've made a decision to follow Christ, you're now a follower of Jesus. Once you do that, what are some of the principles that you and I should be applying in our lives so that we can live a life of generosity? Last week, he shared that generous living understands that it all belongs to God. And if you were here, you heard him talk about that. God owns it all, and it all belongs to God. And some of you maybe, maybe that's why some of you are not here this morning. Because you heard a message that said, everything that you own isn't yours. You know? And that would be really discouraging if you think it does belong to you. As a follower of Christ, it does not belong to you. And it does not belong to me. It belongs to God. And this is so important for us to understand. Now, I, I think when we talk about a couple of key topics across the Christian church, this is one of the ones that really gets underneath people's skin sometimes. Because our calendars and our wallets are two of the things that we hold most close to us sometimes. How we spend our time and how we spend our what? Money, okay? But there's more pieces to that regarding generosity. However, it is important for us to understand. Last week, he talked about it and he said, let's remember the fact that God is very clear in Scripture. Everything that he has entrusted us with still belongs to him. That's why we call this open-handed. Because if it's open-handed, we don't hold on to something like we own it. We just recognize that God has entrusted it to us for a season and for a time. And when we understand that principle first, it allows us to take steps towards living generously. So this week, we're not looking at what he said, that everything belongs to God and everything is owned by God. This week, week two, we're looking at the concept that I call learn to manage well. Today, we're looking at learning to manage well. If we want to be people that practice a lifestyle of generosity, we need to understand that God wants us to manage things well. Remember, all these things he's entrusted us with, who's the owner, us or God? Say it again. God. God is the owner. He's entrusted them to us. If you will, you and I are brokers in this world where he's given you all of these resources and he's saying, I want you to manage the things I've given you well. I want you to manage them very well. I want you to take them Be serious about it, and I want you to manage it. There is a word that we use for that inside the church and outside the church. It's called stewardship. Some of you have heard this before, the word stewardship. Now, the actual definition of stewardship, here's one definition of it, is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Okay, So if you are a good steward of something, you are careful, you are responsible in the management of that thing because it's been entrusted to you. Does that make sense? That's what a good steward is. That's not biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship is simply this change. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care for God's glory. You may know people that are very good stewards of what they've been entrusted with. Am I right? But they are entrusting it to themselves. They are managing it for their own purposes, for their own agenda, to build, if you will, their kingdom and not God's. It doesn't mean they're a bad steward. It just means they're not practicing biblical stewardship. As followers of Christ, God encourages us and and expects us to manage well. Why? Because he's entrusted it to us. And when we are entrusted to something, something like this, the careful and responsible management of it is for the purpose of God's glory. He gives us these things for a reason. And newsflash, it's not really for ourselves. How about an amen for that one? Oh, I'm so glad next week is the Thanksgiving service because I don't know who's going to show up after today. Okay, I'm just kidding. 
I'm just kidding. But living a life of generosity as a follower of Christ is not just about managing well. That's what I'm trying to say. What it's about is being entrusted with something and managing it well for God's glory. Again, everything he's entrusted us with, it's not to build our kingdom, it's to build his. That is so important for us to understand. So, this morning, I want to explain a little bit about how I see this in Scripture, why we're even talking about this in Scripture, and then some of the areas he is encouraging us and he expects us to manage well. So, first off, we need to remember that we are created to manage. God created us. Yes, he created us to know him and to be loved by him and to love him, but he also created mankind to manage. He created us with a job. If you go all the way back to the beginning in creation, you can see in Genesis, we're not going to go to 128 today, but it says when he created man, he said, I created you to rule over the land, to rule over the sea and all the animals and the birds and everything around it. That was in Genesis 128. And then in Genesis 215, it specifically says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it. That's Genesis 215. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That's what the scripture says right there, to work it and to take care of it. God has created us to work in some capacity. That's what he's asked us to do. He also expects a return on what we've been given. I don't know if you know about that, but if you give your resources to a broker or you invest your resources in a broker, how many of you expect that broker to give you a return? Anybody? How many of you? Just, just, just we're going to do this. It's going to be fun just for a moment. Everyone raise your hand with me just for a minute because this is how we're going to do this, okay? Everyone raise your hand with me just for a minute. And let me ask you, if you would be okay giving your resources to someone knowing that they would either give you the exact same back in a year or two or give you less than what you gave them, if you're okay with that, leave your hand up. Look around the room. Okay? We have one hand up. I love you. To talk more about that. But if you're okay giving the resources to someone, 99.99% of you are basically saying, I give my resources to someone and I entrust them to invest it, to do something with it. In two years from now, I would expect a better return than what I started with, right? If your numbers keep getting less and less every single year, at some point you're going to start doing what? No longer invest with that broker. And that's kind of the reality of what we see here. God expects us to give a return on what he's been given. There is a parable in the Gospels, and I'm going to summarize it for you this morning. It's very simple. Jesus tells a parable of these three people. And these three people were entrusted by their master with what he calls a talent. Okay? Now, a talent was a measurement. Okay? And it was a measurement, and they gave talents in gold. So they would weigh a certain amount of gold, and it was given to them, and the measurement was called a talent. Now, the measurement of a talent was equal to about 20 years' worth of daily wages. Okay? That's a lot of money. 20 years of daily wages. And Jesus tells a story about this master who brings three of his servants to him, and he gives one of them five talents, he gives one of them two, and he gives one of them one. All of them are entrusted, consider this, all of them are entrusted with at least 20 years value in labor wages, okay? So all of them had something of value, am I right? It doesn't matter if you were given five times that amount or one time amount. If someone entrusted you with 20 years full of labor wages, that's a lot of money. And he expected them to do something with it. He goes away for a while, he finally comes back, and when he comes back, the person with five talents, the slave with five talents, says to him, hey, I took the five talents you gave me, and this is what I did, and he gives him five more. I doubled it, and now you have ten. 
and the master commends him. Then he goes to the one that had the two talents, and he said, I took the two that you had, and I doubled it, and now I have four, and I'm giving you all four. And the master commended him for that. And then he went to the servant with one, and he said, I knew that you were a very hard man, and I was afraid that I would lose anything that you gave me, so I buried it. And here's the one talent back. And now the master didn't say, thank you for holding on to it. What he actually did was he rebuked him. Look at Matthew 25, verses 26 through 29. Look what he says. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Verse 28. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10. For whoever who has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And Jesus was using this as an illustration about how the kingdom is supposed to look and how God entrusts each one of us with something of value. You notice one talent was still 20 years worth of wages versus the one who had five times. What I love about the parable is that sometimes people say, well, someone was given five talents. The one was insignificant. All of the gifts were were significant. All of the resource that he gave his servants were all of high, high value, but he had an expectation that it doesn't matter what the person next to you has. It matters what you do with what you've been, you do, matters what you do with what you've been given. Does that make sense? And it's so important for you and I to understand that there is an expectation that God has for you and for me in managing everything he's entrusted us with, not to compare ourselves with what he's given someone next to us. So how do we manage these things? Or if I can rephrase that, what are some of the things God wants us to manage? Three things I want to talk about today, this morning. Three areas that we have been encouraged and are expected to manage well. Are there others? There are. But if you can break them out in more detail, yes. In the interest of time, we're only going to touch on these because I think they will incorporate some of the others. The first area I want to talk about, that we have an area that we're supposed to manage well, is our time. We are supposed to be good stewards as followers of Christ with our time. Why? The most valuable commodity you and I have in this world is our time. Think about that. You cannot create more time. You know, the whole idea of like, you know, we watch a good movie, we just need to buy more time. You cannot buy more time. What if I'm sick and I go to the hospital and they help give me an extra two years to live? God still knows how many days you will live on this earth, church. Now, in your world, it looks like it increased, but God still knows you started here and you will end here. And there's nothing you can do to change that from the moment you breathe your first breath. The clock is ticking down. Aren't you glad you came this morning? Isn't this encouraging? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding we got to think about these things. Like, I think about this stuff, and that's why people say, like, dude, it's really hard to be around you sometimes because that's heavy. And I'm like, but it should inspire us to recognize the most valuable commodity you and I have is our time. You cannot create more of it from the moment you and I are born. The clock is ticking to the last day we will breathe our last breath on this earth. As a really old soap opera once said, like sands in the hourglass... Now I know who's watching soap operas. So are the days of our lives, right? So look at you, you're thinking like, busted, been there. Well, I grew up watching that because I had people that I knew around me that did. Different story, different time. Okay, 
Why is time so important? Why do we have to manage our time so important? Because the things that we do in our lives, how we spend our time, influences how we live our lives. Someone once said that when you sow a thought, if you spend time thinking on something, you sow a thought, you will at some point reap an action because the things you think about are the things you begin to do. Make sense? That's how that works. And if you sow an action enough by spending time doing it over and over again, you reap a habit. And if you continue to sow a habit, it eventually becomes your character. And when you continue to nurture and encourage that as your character, it begins to reap your destiny. So sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. And sow a character, you will reap your destiny. And how does that all have to do with time? It all begins with how you spend your moments. What do you think on determines what you do determines what you do all the time, determines your character, ultimately determines your destiny. That's why it's so important for us to spend our time wisely as followers of Christ. There are so many examples in scripture that we could talk about that would illustrate this. I just have one for you this morning. First Timothy 4, 7 through 8, the apostle Paul says this to the young Timothy, who he is his protege, and he's, he's mentoring this young man. And he says this to Timothy as he's teaching him and setting him up to be the leader of the church in Ephesus. He says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, he said, train yourself to be what? Godly. Physical training is good. Absolutely. But training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So he's not saying don't focus on physical things. He's saying make sure that you are being a good use of your time. Here's what I know about that. People around you will have no problem wasting your time. And if you do not set your priorities, if you do not set a plan for yourself, if you do not set these things according to what God's will is for you and that honors God, everyone around you will do a great job telling you what you should value. Have you ever had that experience before? Right? People that do not have a plan, people do not have a goal, are sure to get there every single time. Because if you're not planning to go anywhere, what do they say? If you fail to plan, you plan to what? Fail. And that's the way that works. It's so intentional. If you are not intentional with your time, it is important, that important. These things are the things you do to build a foundation of strength. You will find yourself wasting so much valuable time. One of the things here at Bridge we have are five core values. And we're in the process of redefining what our core values are going to not just look like. They're going to stay the same values, but we're going to display them. It's been a while since they've been displayed. And we're reworking that in our lobby and some of our literature. Pastor Jeff is teaching an explore class today. And we've been talking about the, the, the core values. But there are five core values that we have as a church. We build our lives on these core values. It comes out of a passage that we're not going to read in Corinthians that talks about the foundation that God has called us to build on, that there are some people that build on a foundation that when the fire and the test comes, that all destroys and it's gone. But when we build on the right things, it actually is a firm foundation that shows what's left after everything else in this world has been gone. The things that stay are the things that are of God, the things that are of eternal. So what do we believe in as a church that we build on? Well, we build on five things in our church. We build on biblical truth. We believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God, the inspired word of God. We have to believe in scripture. People have opinions all over the place, but we know God's word is the inspired word of God. We build on unconditional love. You, we build on unconditional love. 
Unconditional love doesn't mean that we accept everyone and approve of everyone's lifestyle and the way they choose to live. It just means God did not put a barrier between him and others in loving people. He went to people even that were walking in sin and he loved them right where they were. He didn't tell them to change before he loved them. He loved them and then challenged them to no longer sin. Does that make sense? There's a difference. And in the church today, many times the bigger church, people say, change who you are and then we'll accept you. And scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says, love unconditionally and let the Holy Spirit be the one to transform them. We believe in unconditional love. What else do we believe in? We believe in investing in others or intentional generosity. We believe in living a life of generosity towards others in what we have so that others could experience the generosity of Christ. When we invest in other people, they experience the love of Christ. They're filled through that encouragement and that generosity. And in turn, God fills us. That's Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Another one of our values, living in community. We believe in living in community. We live in such an individualistic world, especially in our country. Especially in our country. The other day I was doing some work on one of my cars and I had this epiphany. I thought about it before, but I had to pull the car into the garage, close the door and turn the heat on so I could work on it. And I never back a car into a garage. It just doesn't normally happen. But I had to because of what I was doing. And I was going to test drive it. So I got in the car, opened the garage door, hit the button, started the car up, drove out of the garage. I felt like I was like a superhero or something. It was actually really cool. I was like, man, the door goes up. Out the garage I went, hit the button, the door went down, and I drove down the driveway, and there were a couple neighbors there, and I went by, and I just waved, and I thought, that is a great picture of how people view living in community today. That they'll wave at the people as they go by. They go up their driveway, pull their car in their garage, close the door, and they don't interact with people around them. Can I tell you, within the context of the church, it's no different sometimes. Living in community is how God has created us to be, to walk in relationship with each other, to support each other, to love each other. That's one of our core values. And finally, the last one is devotion to prayer. We have a foundation of prayer in our lives that has to be the root, the base on what we base everything off of. Because without a foundation of prayer, everything else is subject to struggle or challenge. We need to be people that are devoted to prayer. So time is an important thing for us. Our church, we put those five priorities and those cores in place because we want you to know as we walk as a church, these are things we value and how we can spend our time. We spend them in the word of God. We spend them by loving others. We spend them by being generous towards others. We spend them by living in community. That's why we have our community groups that meet on a weekly basis. We spend them by being people that are devoted to prayer. And whether you come to our Monday night prayer meeting that meets every single Monday night here, or you come to our pursuit nights that are once a month at the end of each, the fourth Wednesday of every month, we devote ourselves to prayer. We pray with each other. It's one of the most beautiful things to come to a space and see the church of Jesus Christ praying for each other because it's an encouragement and it's rooted in the faith that we see in God's word. So time is a very big thing for us to consider. Our culture tells us what's valuable if we don't, as I said. And as I was reflecting on my own life, I was recognizing that there has been a trajectory just in the years that I've been, because I've not been alive too long. I mean, I'm only only like 25 years old, right? So (laughs) it's not true. But I remember as a kid, things that we used to hold dear and sacred are now completely ignored. And that wasn't the beginning It was just part of the journey that we've been on. I remember that it was more common as a kid 
to have dinners with my family or with family members or friends that ate with their family than it is today. I remember today, now today, it's harder and it's less frequent for people to just sit at the dinner table together and have a meal. That they're running, they're going, they're grabbing stuff, they're watching TV, they're all sitting on their phones. People do not interact today the way that they did 30 years ago, 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's more things distracting them, if you will. There's more things uh, vying for their what? Time. I remember Sundays being a day of rest. I remember going to church. I remember hanging out in the afternoon as a young kid, playing with my cousins, doing whatever. Today, drive around our communities and see what Sundays look like. And what you're going to see is it doesn't look any different than any other day of the week for most people. The only difference is that maybe the roads are a little bit less chaotic and a couple of the schools are closed, etc. But generally speaking, businesses are primarily open, um, unless you're a Chick-fil-A fan. (laughs) Businesses are primarily open. People are still doing whatever they're going to do. Sports used to be only through the weekdays and on Saturdays. And now you can go to any one of these community games and fields and you can see families and kids. There is nothing sacred and there's no respect for the week, Monday through Sunday anymore. They will schedule whenever they want to schedule. And can I tell you, as parents, especially if you have younger children, many times we drink the Kool-Aid and we just go along with whatever they say we need to do. In the church, too. In the church, too, people running at the speed of sound because the school says I need to do this and the school says I need to do that. I was talking to someone earlier this week and they said, well, when I grew up and where I grew up in the country, that actually didn't happen. If you actually went to the coach and you said, hey, I can't be there because I have this thing going on or, you know, my family does this on Sundays. There was a respect level that they had to say, we understand that. Thank you for letting us know. Today, you're shunned. Today, you're kicked off the team. Today, you're sitting on the bench. And what we've done as parents and as Christians many times is we've just gone along with it. Well, I can't be there for that. I can't be for that. The school makes me do this. The, 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 the sporting team isn't requiring us to travel and do this. And, you know, the classes and the concerts, it doesn't really matter. There is nothing sacred anymore. And I'm not saying that Sunday has to be the day where you do nothing. I'm saying the truth of the matter is everybody has been telling us that the most important thing we need to do is what they think we need to do, not what God thinks we need to do. Does that make sense? There's a difference. There's a big difference for that. When I was growing up, there were things we couldn't buy on Sundays in New Jersey. It was called the Blue Law. Some of you maybe heard of that before. And, and the way they got around that was, well, one county wouldn't sell it and the one next door would. So you'd go to that county and buy it and then you'd come back. But they had these strips across aisles that you couldn't buy things because it was only reserved for necessities during that time. All of these things are gone and nothing is sacred anymore. And if we're not careful, we will allow a life of chaos to become the mindset that we run in. And can I tell you, as a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, you love Jesus, you have a family, if the people around you look at you and your life is so chaotic that you're running and going and going and running and you have no time to put the things in order that need to be put in order, or your kids are all in crazy different directions and they have crazy sleep patterns or they can't serve in some church capacity or they come exhausted every morning or they can't come to special events because everything's running all over the place. If you live in a chaotic lifestyle, that is not just a lifestyle that you're living in. It is a sinful behavior. Being really honest about it. It's a sinful behavior because there is no testimony that's a healthy testimony to the world around us if when they look at the families that are followers of Christ and they don't see them look any different than the way that other people live. 
There has to be boundaries. There has to be priorities. There have to be some things that we draw lines in, not just adding things to our lives, but there has to be times where we rest. There has to be times where we just make time to be in relationship with other people. Because, and this is important, when our time is ordered properly, the other two things we're going to talk about, they get more in line as well. If you don't order your time correctly and you do not have enough time to do the things God is asking you to do, you don't make space for that, the next two things we're going to talk about fall victim and they can be compromised. So managing your time is really important. Do you manage your time well according to what God says? The second thing we're going to look at and what you need to, learn, what you need to manage well are not time, but it's talents. It's your talents. And underneath talents, the umbrella of talents, I'm saying your gifts, your skills, everything that makes you you are your talents. Everything. The way that you speak, the way that you think, the way that you love, the way that you give, your talents, your gifts, all the things that are in there, that's what makes you you. We are called to manage those things well. In Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, Scripture says, one of the commands of God is to love the Lord your God, look, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Every part of us are called to love God. All of us, with our heart, with our soul, with our strength, with our gifts, with our skills, with our abilities, every part of how God has made us, with our words, Love God with our eyes. Love God with our ears. Love God with what we see, with what we listen to, with where we take ourselves, with our feet. Every part of us, he says, to love him with all of these things. And that is the way we are supposed to live. First Peter 4.10, Peter says to the church, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Why does God give us gifts? Why does God give us skills? Why does he uniquely make us? Because do you know that you're uniquely, you are uniquely made? You were breathed life into by the creator and you are uniquely made and created for a purpose. You are different than every other person that you know. He has made you uniquely. You have your own unique identification. It's not just your fingerprint. But there is no one like you. There is a fingerprint of God on your heart and yet is valuable to God. And with all of those uniquenesses that he's given you, he's called you to be a certain way, to live a certain way, to use everything he's given you for his kingdom and not just for ourselves. This could include your abilities. It could include your gifts. Maybe you're athletic. Maybe you're academic. Maybe you're analytic. Maybe you're administrative. Maybe you're a leader or you grow in leadership. Maybe you love to cook or to bake or to build things or you're mechanical or you're a teacher and the list goes on and on. You're musical. You're compassionate by nature. Maybe there's all these things that make you who you are. Can I tell you, God has given all of those things to you. The number one reason he's given you all of those things as a follower of Jesus is to manage them well for the kingdom of God so that when people look at you, they see Jesus. When people look at me, they see Jesus. Of course, those things can be used for your, self be, for, you, for your self-preservation. They can be used for your family. They can be used to provide for your, fa- for your family and all the things that go with that. But ultimately, he hasn't given them to you or to me so that we can just keep them to ourselves. He's given all these things to us so that we could do, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, good works 
For we have been created in Christ Jesus, he says in Ephesians 2.10, to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So how do we manage our gifts? How do we manage these talents beyond just providing income or building a career? I speak really directly about that because I think this is where we get lost sometimes, especially in the Christian church. We've, we've created a mindset, especially the men, and I don't know why this is the case over the years, but especially the men that like, we, we build our lives, we have our careers, we do these things, and then when it comes to church, we, you know, well, you know, we might come and might be an usher or we might sit around and you know, we give to something every once in a while. But otherwise, you know, the thing that I do for my life doesn't really connect with the church. And, and that's a problem that the church needs to re- reinvent. There's a problem with that because if you are a teacher, the church needs people that know how to teach. If you love people and you walk alongside people, if your world is to encourage and develop and to teach people, God wants you to teach and disciple people in the church who don't know Jesus or who are growing in their faith. If you have a gift of, of, um, of business acumen and you can understand how to run businesses and create businesses, God needs those people within the church to actually do it. It's one of the biggest struggles of churches across the world is that you know people love Jesus, but they don't know how to run a business. Well, there's a lot of parts within a church that function like a business, even though we're not an organization, we're an organism. We need people that think like that. It's a beautiful thing when you have business people that love Jesus and the two come together. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's kindness. Maybe it's benevolence. Maybe it's anything that God has put in your heart that you use outside of the walls of bridge. He asks you, how are you managing those gifts to bless the congregation that you attend and you're a part of and to bless the community that I've planted you in. It is so important that we not just take those gifts, apply it to our well-being, build our 401ks and our bank accounts and our communities and our kingdoms, and then go about living our lives for ourselves. He said, no, I've entrusted you with those things. Use them for your financial benefit. Use them for your kingdom, for your family. Take care of yourself, but use them also to bless other people. I was thrilled when I was talking a couple weeks ago. Some of you know my wife went in for spinal surgery um, about a month ago. And, uh, wow, it was um, actually, it's almost two months ago, actually, at this point. Time flies, like I said. Um, But the doctor that operated on her, wonderful doctor, wonderful man, loves Jesus, prayed for her before she went into surgery. She prayed for him. He prayed for her. You know what he does during his year, in addition to actually operating on people all throughout the year? He goes on missions trips to Haiti for medical missions, and he helps people in other countries by operating and giving free surgeries for things. And I looked at that and I thought, how easy would it be someone whose life is so consumed with the world around him right now because he's so intentional with what he's doing and he's very busy for him to say, I don't have time to do that. There has to be an organization that can do that. No, he makes time and carves out of his time to travel and go with his daughter, who's also a doctor, and they do medical missions in third world countries. Isn't that incredible? I love that. And I go, that's beautiful. You could say, well, he's a doctor. Of course, that's wonderful. You don't need to be a physician to model the love of the great physician. You can give whatever gift God has given you to give, and he uses that for his glory. Do you use your gifts and your time? Do you use those for God's glory? As we look at where we are across our church, and I see that, I really hope one of my heartbeats, my prayer across our church, because I grew up with this, is people used to say, in the church world, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And can I tell you, that percentage might, might ebb and flow a little bit, it might vacillate, but there's still a lot of truth to that. The majority of work is done by a small number of people. If you are connected to a local church community, well, one, if you're not connected to a local church community and you're a follower of Christ, how are you spending your time? But if you are connected to a local church community, how are you using the gifts God has given you? 
because you offer something to people that the church needs, the body needs, and that's how we grow and we strengthen each other by being who God has called us to be. Without your part of it, there is a hole that nobody else can fill. And people can try to fill it, but ultimately it creates a problem if someone else is trying to do double, triple, or quadruple duty. So, open-handedness, learning to manage your time, learning to manage your treasure, I'm sorry, learning to manage your time, learning to manage your talents. And the last one this morning, this one is your treasure. We have to learn to manage our treasure. And treasure is just a fancy word to talk about our money. If we want to be people that practice genuine generosity, living a life of generosity, we need to understand that God has called Christians to manage their finances, to manage their money. You could say, well, what does it have to do? Isn't there like a whole giving and a tithing thing in there? We're getting to that. That's going to be in a few weeks. I'm not going to tell you what week because I want you to be here. Okay? I'm just kidding. I do want you to be here. But, but we're going to talk about that. But the danger that people have sometimes is they camp on that and go, oh, you're just saying that God wants me to tithe. Well, there is an element of tithing. We're going to unpack what that means in a few weeks. We're going to unpack why that's important, why God has called us to do that, and even how that's just the beginning of generosity. It's not the end of generosity. But making a decision just to tithe without managing your time, without managing your talents, is not a formula for God to bless you. He wants all of these together to say, when you do this all collectively, watch what I will do in you and through you. So managing your treasure is important because... Number one, Jesus said the love of money is very dangerous. So that if we don't understand how to manage it, we could get in serious, serious trouble. Okay, but two things happen when we we mismanage our money. Two things can happen, I think. Number one, we can build a wall around us that insulates us from spiritual things. We can become spiritually insensitive if we don't manage our money properly. And here's what I mean. If you accumulate large amounts of money and you're mismanaging that, meaning that it becomes the priority of your heart over honoring God, you create a barrier between what God wants to do in you and where you are. I used to call it, it's like a moat. Remember like years ago in the medieval times, they'd have castles and they'd dig these moats all the way around it. The bigger the moat, the deeper the moat, put alligators and everything in there. It insulates people. Wealth and prosperity can insulate people from hearing the still small voice of God. When, and it's not because money is the problem, it's because their heart is a problem. You can be a very wealthy person and have a sensitive heart towards God. Do you follow me? It's the danger in mismanaging it to say, I'm accumulating, I'm building, I'm creating this kingdom, and the more that I create it, the further I can keep myself from problems. And if I keep myself insulated from problems, I don't need to hear God's voice because I can solve all the things I need to solve. I think about this this way because our country is incredibly financially blessed. This country has continually been financially blessed for hundreds of years. However, however, how much do things like world hunger stir our hearts? Think about it. How much does crime motivate you to be involved to make a change? How much does the immigration crisis at the border How much does the immigration crisis or oppressive government regimes affect us? And you know the answer to that, I think, is a lot of it has to depend on how close it hits to home. Because when you're far away from the border, does it really fit your radar screen? If the border was 100 feet from your house, 
you would have much more vested interest in solving that problem than if you're 2,000 miles away from it. Am I right? If there's an oppressive regime in North Korea that's thousands thousands of miles away and the people in that country are starving to death because of what that government's doing, it would not impact, and it does not impact us to the same degree when we're thousands of miles away and we hear about it on the news. The insulating factor is that we have the ability to distance ourselves from that, and some of it's geographical, but a lot of it can be financial. So if we have money and treasure misplaced in our minds and we don't think about it correctly, it can become a moat that insulates us from the things around us. Jesus said it one way in a story of a parable in Matthew 19, 24. A rich man came to him and he said, you know, I did all these things. What else do I need to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, I need you to go and I need you to follow and I just sell all your possessions and then come and follow me. And Jesus wasn't trying to tell him that the, the way that you come to follow God is to be broke. He was pointing something in his heart and identifying the problem. The problem was that he loved money more than anything else. And he said, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the scripture says that the man walked away sad because he was very wealthy and he could not part with his wealth. And then Jesus says in Matthew 19, 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Because we are so self-sufficient and put our hope and trust in wealth that we see no need for God's spiritual salvation. And that's important. So money is important. If we mismanage it, it can create an insulator for us. The second area that it can do, what it can do for us also, is it can dig a hole in our lives if we mismanage it and we can be buried in debt. Because if you don't manage your money properly, you can get suck, sunk in a huge cavity of debt. You understand what I'm talking about? Anyone have that experience? You don't have to raise your hand. Debt is a way of life for many people. Proverbs 22.7 says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. It doesn't mean that all debt is bad. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm just saying when we mismanage our money, we limit what God can do in our lives sometimes because we're so prioritized on getting ourselves out of debt or we feel the oppression of the debt that we can't live generously towards other people. So we need to live in a certain way. That requires incredible self-discipline to say no to certain things and yes to other things. To walk in a way where we manage our money responsibly and not irresponsible. Today, the national debt per capita in the United States, if you took the nation's debt that we had and spread it out to every person in the United States, in in 2000, it was $12,800 per person. In the year 2000, the debt of our country was $12,800 a person. Today, it's $92,500. In 23 year, 22 years, it went from 12800 to 92500 That's how much the debt would be if every person had to pay off their share in this country just in the last 22 years. It becomes crippling at some time, church, right? Crippling. And I can't say it enough. It's so important for us to understand how much we need to grab a hold of that so that it does not consume our life and we are not dictated by that. That requires self-discipline. It requires living beneath our means. It means saying no to the things the world says that we should have and saying yes to the thing that God says we should have. When Leslie and I were not working in church ministry and I was in full-time pharmaceuticals, we used to live at almost half of what my income was because I wanted space to be able to do things and help people and live. And, And we lived in a little house and we owned old cars and I would fix things. And that's not what everyone needs to do. Don't get me wrong but we lived at half our income. And I remember people that knew our situation said, people would never know how much you made based on the way that you live. And I said, that's wonderful. And I'm not trying to say that to pat myself on the back. What it did was it created margin in our lives to breathe financially. 
So that when God said, help these people, take care of that situation, go save for your future. We said, okay, because I don't need that new car. I don't need the bigger house. I don't need the home improvement right now. Or I'll do some of it myself and save some money. And I remember when I went through the credentialing process and I was credentialed with our fellowship and I sat down and I told them this story and how at that point, you know, from the time we were 22 years old to the time I was in my my late 30s looking at a credentialing process, I said, we're debt free aside from our house. We've never owed anything beyond our mortgage and we've been paying extra on it to pay it down in less years because we did not ever want to get stuck. One of the guys looked at me, he was a minister for 30 years and he said, you know how rare you are in this world today? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, we have people all the time that come to us and say, I have a passion and a hunger to do the work of ministry and God's called me to missions and God's called me to this ministry. But they got into a place, they drank the Kool-Aid and they started buying things they needed buying and living in houses and cars that they didn't necessarily need to have. And they found themselves under a mountain of debt that when God wanted to call them to do something, they were unable to because they had all these responsibilities that someone else told them they needed when they never needed in the first place. Financial Freedom, financial management is so important because if we're bound by that and we live above our means and we don't manage properly, when that happens, bad things happen and we're no longer able to follow God's leading in our lives. And now we have to spend our life digging ourselves out of a hole instead of helping other people get closer to Jesus. Am I making sense today? I hope. Okay, so how do we do this real quick? The worship team's gonna come forward as we get ready to close, but how do we do this? Because if you hear these things, you might feel like it's overwhelming. You might feel like, wow, there's things in my life that I need to change or I need to adjust. How do I do this? What does this look like? And here's what I want you to hear from me first of all, among all these other things. All of these things are rooted in a heart issue, a heart condition. If we have trouble managing our time, we don't have a calendar problem, we have a heart problem. If we have trouble managing our gifts and our talents, we don't have a talent problem, we have a heart problem. And if we have trouble managing our money and our finances, again, it's not an income thing or an expense thing, it's a heart problem. And here's what I mean by that. It doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. It means there's something in the way that we view God and how we live. There's something there that doesn't, it doesn't, require us. We don't feel compelled in our heart to make a change. And why I say that is because the answer to this is to get closer to Jesus. The answer to this is to ask Jesus to reveal a greater love that he has for you and I. Because the more that we understand who he is, the more that we understand how he wants to work in us and through us, the more all those things become clearer in our heart and the revelation of God speaks into our hearts the more we want to manage our time, the more we want to give of him, give our, our talents, and the more we want to put our finances in order. It all is a response to the understanding, the revelation of the love that God has for us. First John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. How well do you have that revelation of the love of God in your heart? Can I tell you, as you and I grow into a deeper relationship with Jesus and understand the greater love of the Father has for each one of us, our natural response is to want to change and right all of those things. Because we see the love that he's given us, we want to respond in accordance to that. How well do you know him this morning? The worship team is going to do this this morning. And we're going to leave this I'm going to leave this as a prayer, but I'm going to encourage you to do a couple things. 
if you would just take a moment and if you would just, you can stand or you can sit. The worship team is going to sing this song. And the song is not something that you have to stick around for if you need to go. But I'm going to ask you to just take a moment and reflect on this with me. And then you can leave whenever you leave, whenever you choose to leave. I'm going to pray this prayer over you. And I'm going to ask you to just take a few moments and let the Holy Spirit talk to you about maybe an area he wants you to remanage. Maybe it's your time or your talents. or Maybe it's your finances and your money. And you can pray that prayer, Lord, help me to manage this better. Or you can pray this prayer. Paul prayed to the church in Ephesus. He said in verse 16 of chapter 3, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Verse 18, and may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. As we understand the, how wide, how great, how deep the power of love, God, how deep God's love is, we then begin to walk in the fullness of what it means to be fully alive. Are you fully alive this morning? As they sing that song, the altars are going to be open. We have a couple people on our prayer team. I want to encourage you just to come. If you can just come and stand here with me. And we're going to have a space for you to come if you would like to be prayed for. But I'm going to pray a dismissal over you this morning right now. And you can leave if you need to leave. And if you would just like to come and be prayed for as the team sings. Let's spend a few moments and invite the Lord to transform our hearts. Draw us closer to him so we can experience fullness of life. Jesus I thank you for your love. I ask, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts, that you would draw us closer to you, and we would be mindful that you are worthy of it all. Build our lives that we would be on the rock of Christ, Lord, to manage what you've given us well so that we can walk with a lifestyle of generosity. In your name we pray.